This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Tom, Richard and myself have been up to on a Thursday morning. That includes quite a strong jobs focus. We've been speaking to the guys from Michael Page about salary expectations for this year and speaking to one company looking to create up to 7,000 jobs. That's PwC Middle East. And Tama is their leader of managed services. Uh, also speaking to a man about a phone, a phone that can speak for you almost. Uh, Fadi Abu Shamat is the head of mobile experience division for Samsung Golf Electrics. They've stuck AI in their latest launches. And Richard X. Richard, Richard Dean, speaking to Richard Quest, the CNN anchor uh, and the CNN business editor at large. At large at the moment is at Davos. Very entertaining interview this morning. Loads of messages about it as well. Jobs, jobs, jobs and more jobs. Brandy's been taking a special look at this. Yeah, I have indeed done two jobs interviews this morning. One with Michael Page, having a look at what we care about. Spoiler, it's the money. Short term at least, but not the longer term. More on that to come. Uh, we've also been looking at what PwC is doing when it comes to creating jobs. We thought Abdullah Tama, who is the head of managed services at PwC Middle East, was going to come in and tell us they were creating a thousand jobs which they are, but that's just in the managed services business. What they're actually going to create is between six and 7,000 positions overall over the next four to five years. And by my maths, that ups their headcount in the region by over 60%. Uh, we asked Abdullah, what percentage of those jobs can we expect to see here in the UAE? So within the firm, within the region, around 40% of our uh, roles are based out of the UAE. And within managed services, we expect a number of areas, including the solutioning center, as well as uh, effectively the technology team to be based out of the UAE. Right. Uh, That's the UAE. Obviously, when we're talking jobs, we are very often talking Saudi. PwC um, is one of the companies that has set up a regional HQ. They were one of the first big global names to open one, actually, inaugurating it cutting the ribbon, uh, celebrating a little in the middle of last year. So we asked, is there pressure? And he said about 50% of the new headcount would go to Saudi. Is there pressure to put more resources in the kingdom? So so I, I, I don't think, I mean, definitely there's always pressure because ultimately, you know, you've got to be a sustainable business, right? So a sustainable business means representing the, 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 the areas and the regions that you work in. So as you can imagine, Saudi is the largest economy in the region, and we've got to be able to support that business. And that's why 50% of our graduates, for example, are also recruited out of Saudi, because you recognize that the abundance of local talent as well is at a different scale over there. Right. So that is one interview. More from that, 9.20 this morning. Uh, The other jobs interview that we did this morning was with the guys from Michael Page. They've come out with their latest salary expectations for this year. And one of the things they do, which is a little bit different, is they look at sentiment. They look at why we're making the decisions that we are making at the moment. And it was all about the money. The number one reason uh, for people in 2023 looking to change jobs was salary. And that is a bit of a change, the regional boss John Ede has been telling us. 
And I think with the significant increase in cost of living, we've seen a, a sharp increase in drive from candidates for salary. Um, obviously, with the cost of education, uh, rent in particular increasing, um, candidates are, are, are clearly they've got less disposable and that, that, that's become a, more of a key driver in, in, in terms of making moves. Yeah, and looking back at previous reports, he said that at the start of COVID, 2020-21, people were after stability. Mid-COVID, 22, they wanted flexibility. Um, But now it is the cash. That's what the numbers say. We asked him what he'd seen anecdotally, whether people uh, were haggling harder, if you like, negotiating a little bit more intently, walking away from jobs that didn't have the cash attached when it came to recruitment. It's really depends on the industry, right? So our guide covers 14 specialist industries and sectors and, and specialisms. And each, and each sector has its four or five key areas of demand. Clearly, if you're a candidate in one of those areas of demand, you're going to have more flex in terms of your negotiation uh, ability. Uh, and it's as simple as that. Um, it is very much down to how much does your employer uh, want and need to retain you versus having the capacity to replace you. Um, clearly, it's a lot more expensive to replace someone, but that's, that's the reality when it comes down to, to salary negotiations. John from Michael Page there giving his thoughts. We've also been looking at inflation around the globe, none more so than the UK. Some interesting uh, numbers coming out or predictions coming out of the UK. Let's hear first from their finance minister, Jeremy Hunt, on the uh, problems of inflation in the UK. Inflation never falls in a straight line. We can see from the rest of the world, it's gone up in France, the United States and the Eurozone. But here in the UK, it was 11.1% when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. It's more than halved. So we have a plan. We've taken very difficult decisions to bring inflation down. That plan is working. And what today shows is that we need to stick to that plan and then we will succeed. Those comments got you, Richard, looking at some of the implications? Yes, indeed. The Financial Times this morning has a fairly gloomy front page talking about European markets falling as the prospects for an interest rate cut have diminished. It's the UK inflation data, the FT says, that is going to make it harder for the Bank of England to cut rates this year. It doesn't mean they won't but just probably less aggressively. And also the market's picking up on comments from Christine Lagarde yesterday. She's at Davos speaking to the guys at Bloomberg, again saying probably we will cut rates in the summer. But a lot of punters were hoping for a rate cut in April from the European Central Bank. Those hopes being dialled back. FTSE in London down 1.5% yesterday. DAX in Frankfurt down by 1% on the back of that general anti-interest rate cut news flow. Dan Richards giving his thoughts as well on this one. We've had some weaker data out of China. We've had some hotter than expected inflation data from the UK yesterday and the EU previously. And there's also been pushback from a number of central bank officials around the likelihood of imminent rate cuts. So if not only growth is looking weaker, but rate cuts are also further off and equities become less attractive. If interest rates are remaining higher in the US, then that means they'll remain higher too as well, given the currency peg. So no cheaper mortgage, for instance, anytime soon. And indeed, we don't expect any rate cuts from the Fed and so from a UAE central bank either until around mid-year. Cheers, Dan. Uh, Dan from Emirates NBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Well, we are talking jobs this morning. Now looking at a salary survey with a difference, because not only does it look at the numbers of what people are getting, but it also has a look at what we think 
we want. There's quite a lot of sentiment in it. It's the Michael Page Salary Guide for 2024. John Ede is the Regional Director for Michael Page, the recruitment company here in the UAE. John, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Brandy. Can't believe it's been another year. I know, I know. Let's look at how that year compared to 2022 um, when it came to the decisions that people were making about their job. And that is one of the, the first big things to come out of this report. You ask people every year what they want in a job and you say this year there's been a bit of a shift. Absolutely. I think what to, to put this into context, we need to look back and uh, I know we don't really use the word COVID anymore, but I think as, as we were in COVID, candidates really had a focus with sort of talking 2020 through to early 2021. Candidates obviously had a real focus on stability and job security. That then shifted, obviously, with quite a movement. And I know there's a lot of talks on your show around it, around flexibility, work-life balance, which went through 2022. That's all companies and, and candidates were, were talking about how much time they could work from home and so on. That was a big focus. And I think with the significant increase in cost of living, we've seen a, a sharp increase in drive from candidates for salary. Um, obviously, with the cost of education, um, uh, rent in particular increasing, um, candidates are, are, are clearly they've got less disposable and that, that, that's become a, more of a key driver in, in, in terms of making moves. Yeah, and we've seen, I'm looking at your numbers here, 20% saying they're dissatisfied um, with their salary um, and a good 35% neutral. So less than half are satisfied with what they're earning. Those are the figures. What are you seeing anecdotally when it comes to salary negotiations? Are people holding out for more money? Are they asking for more money? I think it's really depends on the industry, right? So our guide covers 14 specialist industries and sectors and, and specialisms. And each, and each sector has its four or five key areas of demand. Clearly, if you're a candidate in one of those areas of demand, you're going to have more flex in terms of your negotiation uh, ability. Uh, and it's as simple as that. Um, it is very much down to how much does your employer uh, want and need to retain you versus having the capacity to replace you. Um, clearly, it's a lot more expensive to replace someone but that's, that's the reality when it comes down to, to salary negotiations. You've got pages and pages in here of what salaries and a minute of jobs are doing. Overall, though, are we seeing them go up for 2024? Are employers willing to offer across the board? I mean, as I say, the cost of living increase is the greatest challenge a lot of our customers are talking to us about in terms of salaries, what to do about um, covering this increase of rent. Clearly, some businesses will do that in terms of rental allowance. Some businesses are trying to combat that with perhaps uh, an increased bonus to offset that for this year because they don't want to increase their uh, rental allowances permanently. And it's very difficult, obviously, to go back once you've gone forward in that regard. Um, but again, it really does depend. I mean, we're seeing some, some, some businesses that will be uh, capable because they've had such a good 2023 of, of moving into even double-digit figures in terms of increases, not many, obviously, um, and, and only in certain very successful sectors, through to some which are unable to do anything. Um, clearly, if they're unable to do anything, it is what it is, but uh, they will be well aware of, obviously, the risk in terms of retaining talent this year. Um, and candidates are, are, are feeling a little bit of pressure from a cost of living perspective. Yeah, and that comes out in terms of uh, people talking about why they would move roles. The number one reason for moving in your report is 
money again. And we're quite yeah. bullish on our prospects. More than 80% of us thinking we could land a new role in three months. Are we right? Well, uh, the, the, I would say so, yes. Um, obviously, again, it really depends on, on, I mean, candidates who've been in the market for several years will have already most likely made at least one job move. And if not, they know people that have and they know, therefore, their desirability in the marketplace. Um, so they would have a pretty good understanding of that. It can be brutal in the UAE. Some people can be on the job market for quite some time. And, and part of that is due to the attractiveness of the UAE. So um, unlike a lot of very developed markets, you're only competing with candidates locally. Here, some businesses, when they're open to bringing in that international talent, they'll ask us to headhunt globally. And then the local talent pool are up against the international global talent pool as well uh, for the same positions. So where that portability of talent is there, clearly there is less opportunity for local uh, candidates. We're seeing those local candidates looking to stay longer as well. Three quarters of those you surveyed saying, mm. I'm here for five years plus in the UAE. The reasons really? for staying, salary isn't number one, number two, number three, it's number four. Is that a change? It is. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I'm, I'm here 15 years. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to do, do another 15. Um, I, I think when I arrived, there was and an recruitment then, people would move to the region um, or, or to the UAE specifically for money. Um, they would do that for a two to three year typically uh, money-making career move to gain international experience. But I think back then, I would say it's fair to say career prospects career prospects would not have been top on that list. Businesses would be hiring experienced professionals who can make an immediate strategic injection um, and, and, and have an impact um, straight away. Whereas we are now, I mean, it's great to see, I think human resources in, the, in, in Dubai and UAE has evolved significantly and improved significantly where there's been a much greater focus on talent development um, and managing people's kind of career life cycles. Um, so I, I think that's why that shifted. And People are looking to stay much longer term, clearly. So short-term drivers, it, it, it really depends on the cycle. It, it, at the moment, is salary based on cost of living. We know that will shift again at some point, short mm -hmm. to medium term. Uh, but yeah, in terms of reasons to stay, yeah, very interesting. I mean, unsurprisingly, safety and, and living allowance, uh, safety and living conditions is number two and three. Uh -huh. um, but yes, uh, salary number four. Uh, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. John Ede of Michael Page going through uh, that report. He runs the business here in the UAE. We appreciate your time. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right then, let's get the latest from Davos. Richard Quest of CNN has been going there seemingly since 1971 when it started. Not quite that long, but he is a veteran of the Swiss ski resort. He's there this year, and we've been speaking to him to find out the inside story. We get on to his comparison between Dubai and Venice in terms of tourism numbers. Andy liked that one very much indeed. But it began by talking to him about the UAE delegation, which is huge this year. A hundred people in the UAE delegation. By my maths, 3,000 delegates. That's about one in three people is from the UAE. So I began by asking Richard about whether or not he's bumping into Emiratis left, right and centre. And this is what he had to say. The reason I think is important People come here because other people come here. Uh, if you are the head of a consulting group, you come here because all your clients are here. So you can, ha if you have, you know, never mind having a one for or a two for, you can have a lot of for. 
you can literally go around and get them all in one go. Now, where I think the UAE, Saudi, India and the big players are slightly more robust is that they also have large presence. So the Emirates has a very large pavilion, but even there they're having their own discussions, their own panels, their own interviews. And it's not just enough to turn up and say, we're here, we're here. You've got to turn up and hear it say, we're here and this is what we want to add to the debate. The panel is called Navigating a Fragmented World. I know you're looking at how a country like the UAE maintains and sharpens its competitive edge. What's the burning question for you? I think the burning question for me when it comes to the UAE is how, how you do it. There are certain distinct advantages, and it really is one of size. It's large, but it's very small. And there is an ability for the UAE to act, when I say as a laboratory, it's the ability of scale in terms of, you know, from top to bottom, the leadership can decide to proceed with something and the resources are there to do it. What I think I need to hear from them and their failures as well as successes, because you will be well familiar, Richard, with that famous saying, show me somebody who hasn't failed and I'll show you somebody who's never done anything. And I think that the testing point for the panel is going to be the admission, well, we tried this and it didn't really work, or we'd like to try this, or we know we've got to go in this direction. And I think that is what's going to be significant, because what I, in my discussions with, with them is, you know, we, 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 we're discussing how the UAE has led, how the UAE is following and what can be done. They may not like the subject of another panel that you're moderating this week, which is about tourism with the headline, sorry, we're full, looking at the problem of over-tourism. What's the problem globally and how might that play out, not just in the UAE, but we know Saudi Arabia wants tourists, Qatar hosted the World Cup. Yeah, this is the biggest issue for tourism. It is the nettle that no one wants to grasp. The reality is that we had a chance during the pandemic to restructure and reformat in many ways. And frankly, when we reopened, we were so glad to reopen that all talks of that. But the truth is there are many places in the world that are simply full. And we know which ones they are. They are Amsterdam, Venice, Barcelona. I don't think Dubai is in that realm's yet. Well, I suppose you could arguably say, yes, the amount of cross-border from, say, Saudi and other countries into the UAE does give the potential for that. But you're not quite there yet. But how do you manage it? And how do you manage it in a sustainable way? The, the, the Hearing from the experts on this, give you a good example, when Venice bans cruise ships and loud noise, when do you use the, the power of the purse? In other words, congestion charging to stop people coming in do you use time at the end or do you do what thailand has tried to do which is disperse the visitors to all the other magnificent places to visit instead of just going to bangkok Phuket? let's be clear it's coming your way don't be fooled about this it may not be there yet and dubai may have the bulk at the moment of the tourism but the ability of the uae as a national 
policy <clears throat> to disperse tourists to Sharjah, to Raz, uh, to uh, Abu Dhabi, that is also going to be significant because we simply cannot continue at the rate that we have been going. Finally, Richard, let's talk about the, the big issues being discussed. I loved your video on CNN from the Davos Curling Club, and you were using the sport of curling as a metaphor for the global economy. So many metaphors and puns in there. It was fabulous. Briefly explain what's Thank going you. on. You know, the reality here is you have two or three Davoses. You have the Davos where real work is being done. And the UAE is very heavily involved in all of that. So, for example, health, education, poverty, water, tourism, all these things. There are dozens of panels and everybody's engaged. Then you've got the famous Davos, Anthony Blinken, Zelensky. The, the economic question they're all answering is how the two hot wars, how can we prevent, assuming they continue for the time being, how do you prevent the two hot wars, A, from escalating, and B, from exogenous events, which then have dramatic economic implications? And that, you know, I'll give you a little secret here, Richard. There's a lot of nasty things happening in the world that people don't want to talk about at Davos. But eventually, they come up regardless. Why? Because you can't talk about uh, growth without worrying about what's happening in the Red Sea. You can't talk about uh, what's happening on energy without looking at sustainability of Saudi Arabia and COP28 or COP29 as the next week, or indeed Europe's energy transition. And so those people who come here hoping for some sanitized version of the world that they can sail majestically on. I see no problems. I only see growth, productivity and benefits for all. Those people are usually rudely disabused when they come face to face. And the true, you know, the UAE is a good example. The people from the UAE are players, they are participants and they know here, you have to get your hands dirty. It's a messy business up the slopes. Richard Quest of CNN speaking to us yesterday live from the Swiss ski resort of Davos. Kyron Wright said, get this guy on more often. He's a sharpshooter. Kyron, we can't afford him. <laughs> yeah. Love to, mate, but you're stuck with us, I'm afraid. His current employer might have something to say about that I as well. So. <laughs> he, to be fair, he does speak to us uh, regularly. Let's um, do the team from Richard from uh, from, C- this from Richard Gress, from CNN. They're, they're, they're really good. They're very good. Um, but no, he's a he's a every so often kind of guy rather than a thrice weekly kind of guy. Bombastic as well. He's obviously drinking from the same hydrant as. Um, as uh, Javier Millet as well. There's something in the water over in Davos at the moment. This, this is the Argentine <laughs> Premier whose speech yesterday caught your attention, Tom. Yeah, um, it, yeah it was, it was tapping, uh, uh, tapping the essence of William Wallace in Braveheart. Uh, 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 I think he finished his, his 23-minute speech with the phrase, freedom for all, damn it. Good on you. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Talking telephones now because overnight in California, Samsung fired the latest salvo in the smartphone wars, a new range of high-end phones that are powered by artificial intelligence. We'll get a local perspective on this in a second. But first of all, let's just remind ourselves what happened around about 10 p.m. UAE time last night. This is the guy who runs Samsung Mobile. He is T.M. Rowe. 
artificial intelligence will bring about great change in the mobile industry and in a way we live. We believe Samsung Galaxy will democratize this change. As mobile devices become the primary access point for AI, Samsung Galaxy will be an open gateway for secure and meaningful AI experiences on a global scale, human-centric experiences that make everyday easier and empower people to unlock their potential. That's the view from California. What about here in the Gulf? Well, the man charged with selling them here in the Middle East is Fadi Amu Shabat. He's head of mobile experience at Samsung Gulf Electronics. Morning, Fadi. Good morning, Richard. These phones don't come cheap. I was looking on the Samsung website, the S24 Ultra, yours for 5,599 dirhams. Tell us more. Absolutely. Well, first of all, you can never put a price on premiumness. And the Galaxy oh, S24. Oh, you can. <laughs> and the S24 is, is the prime uh, device that we are genuinely proud to to have presented uh, to our customers last night, as you mentioned, and it was such an awesome event. Now, the idea of uh, uh, some price variation, I can understand that due to some uh, global situation economically, uh, we have a lot of supply chain uh, uh, globally happening. Having that said, uh, the price difference is, uh, uh, I would say, uh, nothing really. It's a marginal difference. Uh, we can attribute it to some new materials that we're using in the Galaxy S24 Ultra, such as titanium. Uh, on a more good note, the Galaxy S24 Plus and base will still continue at the same starting point as last year. So uh, I'm really looking forward for the uh, customers to experience the Galaxy S24 Ultra. They when can we buy them? Uh, we started already, 17th pre-order, and the pre-order will continue until 31st of January. And then we can get our hands on the thing. Absolutely. It comes at a, a tough time for the smartphone market generally, a tough couple of years. You've got Ben Wood at CCS, he's an analyst, uh, saying that this comes at a time when the smartphone industry is trying to reignite consumers' interest in smartphones. It's a time when incremental hardware updates have seen sales slow down across the sector. What's been happening with smartphones over the past couple of years? Because sales have been sluggish. That, that is true. If we look at the, the uh, economy or, or the industry in general, uh, we have seen some shrinking in the overall, yet the extremely optimistic uh, uh, part, if we look between the uh, uh, the lines, is the premium segment. The premium segment has actually not only withstand, it actually has increased dramatically over the past two years. Uh, I'll attribute that as an example of the S23 series that we launched last year. It was an unprecedented uh, success, and we keep, uh, we're anticipating another uh, double-digit growth in the premium segment, especially in the UAE and the Gulf region for 2024 as well. So uh, I would say overall industry, true, but premium segment is, has been amazing. Let's talk about these artificial intelligence features. Convince me that they're just they're, they're more than just a gimmick. Everyone agrees, whether it's The Verge or TechCrunch or CNBC, Samsung is going big on artificial intelligence. Photo editing? Tell me more. Absolutely, absolutely. See, Samsung, uh, we've spent years, it's not, it's not just a sport of the moment, we've spent years developing artificial intelligence and we uh, finally launched Galaxy AI. And Galaxy AI is a blend of our own internal uh, research and development and a partnership with uh, some of our global uh, leaders such as Google, uh, which we announced on stage last night. And the whole idea is that it has to be meaningful, Richard. If it's not meaningful, if it's not going to enable or make your daily tasks easy, it's never going to be worth 
worth uh, buying. And I'll just give you a couple of examples of something that we're proud of, uh, which is uh, search uh, circle to search by Google. This feature is is astronomical. Uh, the fact that humans are an inquisitive uh, creatures, we we ask questions, we 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 uh, we wonder uh, where did this come from and uh, what can it do, and having the phone as the most intimate uh, device in your hand available 24/7 empowered with AI, makes search easy. I'll just give you a quick example. You're wearing an amazing blue jacket right now, right? I'll just open up my camera and I'll use circle to search. I'll just circle your jacket and using artificial intelligence, I'm gonna get results as quick as on the fly. Where can I buy this jacket? What's the price? Uh, who other vendors are selling a similar jacket? This kind of uh, AI abilities has never existed before on, on a device that is intimate as a smartphone. Second, I'd, I'd like to highlight a quick thing, which is a barrier that everyone, humanity has been suffering from, which is communication. The S24 will finally introduce Live Translate, which is a feature that is enabled on the device itself. You get calls from Arabs, from, from Spanish people, from everywhere. We, we live in Dubai, a multinational city. The Galaxy S24 will enable you to live translate. So your Spanish friend can talk fluently in his Spanish and you will live hear it in English on the phone, no matter which phone your friend is using. So that feature we believe that will make, uh, will bridge the gap between people, will make life easier and, and more productive. Let's talk about competition. I've no doubt that the phone is great. And in fact, the, the early reviews are, are pretty favorable. But it's highly competitive out there. Just this week, you'll have seen the data coming out from IDC. Apple, for the first time ever, overtaking Samsung to be the world's number one shipper of smartphones last year. 235 million handsets. There's not a lot between you, but Apple has now overtaken you. At the same time, ID says Apple's maybe not the real competition. It is for these high-end smartphones, maybe. But it says Samsung's drop in the rank is because the overall Android space is getting more competitive, whether it's Huawei and Oppo or Google itself. The, the smartphone industry is extremely competitive. I've, I've worked for the past couple of decades on, 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 in business, and i got to say, the smartphone industry is quite competitive. But i got to point it in, in the other way around, Richard. I, I see competition as an enabler. Without competition, no company would actually be, be pushed and, uh, to, to innovate more. Uh, at, at the peak of competition, uh, we look at us as Samsung innovating in AI, uh, pushed forward to introduce AI into a meaningful uh, consumer daily life driver. So we genuinely look, we welcome competition. Uh, if we look on a, uh, a micro level, on UAE, on, on the GCC uh, industry, uh, we still maintain our number one leadership position. Uh, I understand that IDC report was probably on a global scale, but if we look micro on UAE level, we're still maintaining our number one position. We're happy and proud about it. But I, I hear you. I hear your smartphone industry is quite competitive, and, and uh, it's a versatile uh, segment starting from the entry uh, offering to the mid-series to the high-end uh, ultra uh, smartphones. Well, let's have a final quick word. You've only got 30 seconds left. On the entry level, I was looking on your website a couple of days ago. Cheapest phone I could buy smartphone was 449 dirhams I think clearly it's a world away from these 5,000 dirham phones who's buying those in the UAE are they selling a lot of hotcakes or are they going old on the shelves they're selling faster than we can supply them to be honest and there is a consumer for every device uh, Richard we believe that uh, at Samsung we have to uh, be able to cater and provide for every consumer segment starting from the uh, youngest uh, students all the way to the uh, top businessman and CEO in his company Fadi always good talk to you appreciate you coming in I'm sure you were up late watching that presentation last night so thanks for being with us the thoughts of the head of mobile experience at Samsung Gulf Electronics Fadi Abu Shamat it's the business breakfast
This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.